See, I woke up one day and started doodling something, something simple. I was really, I, I always do that. I just before I even start practicing, I just noodle something, and nothing specific, just nothing really. And she's like, "Oh, that's beautiful." And Rubinstein was playing a piece by Albanese, and he kind of trying to remember it, and he was playing through it, and he would kind of change and improvise a little bit as he was playing it. And then the granddaughter or the daughter said, "Oh, that's exactly how Dad used to play it." I love the, the innate humility and absorption, capacity of absorption that flamenco has. And that's how it has enriched itself. It's always avant-garde, it's never dead. So my lady and I are watching this new comedy titled Wanderlust, which stars Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. And they play a married couple who've fallen on hard times. And in search of some new direction in their lives, they sort of unwittingly find themselves as new members of a 60s style commune and all the things that come with that. Things like free love, no doors on the rooms, very public restroom times. It's pretty funny. In one particular scene, Paul Rudd's character tries and ultimately fails to lead this kind of simple campfire sing-along, partly because the commune's leader Seth, played by Justin Thoreau, begins this incredible guitar improv on top of what Paul Rudd's character is playing and singing. You guys like spin doctors? Go ahead now, this one wants to buy you rockets. Said that's all Go, Seth! Oh! Put in your way in a second, George. Take a solo. What really blew us away was the amazingly good flamenco-like guitar playing of the hands double. Not only was it improv, but the right and left hand looked beautiful and most studio players play with a pick, even when playing classical. Only a handful of people in the world can play like that. So we finally, we wait through the whole movie for the credits, and of course, it is one of those few. It's Adam Del Monte. On that note, welcome to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf, and this week I talked with the amazingly versatile Adam Del Monte. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. Adam is one of the few of a new generation of guitar players who's been able to gain great respect as both a flamenco and classical guitarist. He has created a personal style that is eclectic in the best sense of the word. He's somehow able to take these distinct genres like classical and flamenco guitar as well as jazz, and though I hate to use the term even world music, and create something truly his own. I grew up in, uh, in Malaga at the age of two, from two to four, in a, uh, in a pueblo, which they now tell me is hugely touristic. When I lived there, it had a plaza de toros. A bullfighting ring. <laughs> 15 houses, a church, and the bar. Bar Manolo. <laughs> And so, you know, of course, g growing up there, uh, all I heard was flamenco. I mean, you know, that, that's all they had. Honestly, I played the guitar before I can remember, I guess. Uh -huh. But I officially started when I was eight. We were living in Germany at the time, just about to start third grade or second grade or something. And I had spent my usual uh, four months in the Sacromonte in Granada. The Sacromonte, literally sacred mountain, overlooks the Alhambra fortress and the Henalife gardens from behind and above the Albaicín. The Albaicín is the old Morris district of Granada with its sort of many winding alleyways and white walls and carmens. 
The Sacromonte has been the primary gypsy community in Granada for hundreds of years, and though not always by choice, it is actually one of the more practical places to live in Granada. The caves in which people live tend to be cool in the summer, warm during Granada's surprisingly cold winters. I actually saw it snow a couple of times while I lived there. Many of the caves have become performance venues for flamenco, and Adam's long history of learning and playing guitar in this area prompted his stage name, Adam del Monte, literally Adam of the Mountain. Usual uh, four months? Yeah, because every summer in my childhood, we would go and uh, go to Granada, and my parents would leave me with this gypsy family. And, to uh, music or to just, they happen to be friends? They happen them. to be friends. Well, they were friends of Mario Maya, the great uh, flamenco dancer. Yeah, I stayed with a gypsy family. Well, actually, they came highly recommended. <laughs> one of the brothers was a guitarist, one was a singer, the sister was a dancer, and all their family members were all playing in the Sacromonte. I mean, it's just basically three or four families. You know, it's like a huge tribe. Many people have left, but like the central ones, like the family of El Gallina. Actually, the first movement of my second flamenco concerto is dedicated to him, Juanillo El Gallina, who was one of my teachers. He has a great restaurant. He, he just passed away last year. Incredible human being and, uh, you know, just had a wonderful feel when he played. Being with them, uh, I, I just felt like part of the family, really. I was very lucky. We got there for the first time I was seven and our money was stolen. In Malaga? In, no, 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 in Granada. Yeah. My father and mother were there and they ingratiated themselves to the locals and to everybody and, and we became friends with Francisco Manuel Diaz, the guitar builder. And then it's through him we met Mario Maya and so we just kind of made very fast connections there. We didn't know that they were famous, you know, Mario Maya was a, a legend. And we told him, uh, so he was, oh, welcome here. And he said, by the way, you know, our money was stolen. And he said, I'm going to take care of it. So the word went out and it said, whoever stole that money, no questions asked, but return it immediately. Order of Mario Maya. And it was back within the hour. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. And ever since that moment, ever since that moment, it was smooth sailing from there. We were like part of the family. <laughs> I think I'm ready for some music. This is the first track on Adam's latest CD titled Así lo siento yo. Literally, this is how I feel it. This particular tune is a rumba called Puntao. Thank you. 
Puntao? Yeah. Okay. It's killer. <laughs> There's kind of two parts to the melody. One is more guitaristic, if anything, and the other, the, the second melody, which is really the main melody, I feel it's kind of more Turkish sounding. I don't know why I yeah, got fixated on Turkish, but it kind of feels Turkish. <laughs> and the phrasing is very cross-grained and rhythmically kind of strange. Yeah, I mean, that rumba is just me having a little fun. I was trying to do less. I usually err on the side of more, and this time I said, okay, let's just do something, you know, simpler, you know, people can you know, move to, and short, uh -huh. and brisk. So that's what I was going for in that one. I was yeah. I was really going against, a little bit against my, my typical nature, which is to, you know, be very elaborate and big form. I was trying to find a different, a different character. Chalaco means absolutely nothing. It is a gibberish word, it's an invented word. Oh, kind of like the piece in a way, right? It's like a, a hybrid form and yeah, an well, invention of yours. Yeah, yeah, I mean the rhythm, I have to say my father came up with that rhythm or he composed a piece in that rhythm in 138-33322. It's a little bit tricky to hear what Adam is talking about here, as the piece he's referring to has such a fast tempo. But essentially, most flamenco uses a 12-beat pattern with various kinds of accents. They tend to conceptualize their cycle of 12 beats as beginning on 12, a little bit like a clock does. So you get the beginning of the cycle sounding a little bit like 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So you may begin to hear a little bit of a pattern like strong, weak, weak, strong, weak, weak, strong, weak, strong, weak, strong, weak, with almost infinite variations within that cycle. Now the fun thing that happens with Adam's rhythm is that he adds one more beat, 13, and its own accent pattern, which he calls 33322. One, and this goes by incredibly quickly in his piece, Chalaco. All right, I'm going for it. We always used to have fun uh, in Madrid at the flamenco's expense because they couldn't get it. <laughs> they just could not get it. The masters of rhythm would like <laughs> add one beat, you know. But and yeah, and you throw them off completely. And <laughs> and you know, even now when I came back and they were listening with some guys with Paquete, who's uh, you know a local super important you know producer player etc. And he was like listening, trying to get it. And I was like, no, it's like this. And he get and then he lose it. You know, for them rhythm is something. It's not analytical. It's something that they do from the bones, and if they didn't grow up with it, it's hard for them to change their their blueprint. 
Right, because it's something so innate that adding or subtracting from that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. There's no math. You're right. Yeah. But you know, uh, but the, the, for that very reason, they you know they they love when they're challenged. That's where the respect comes from. And actually, after we listened to the thirteen eight, he put his new album on it, and he had a seven beat there, which was like, oh wow. And he was like all insecure about, it. is it is it okay? I'm like, are you asking me? It's your piece. <laughs> is it? A, yeah, it's awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, it, actually, it's on Spotify. Uh, it? It's called Mr. Paquete. Mr. Mr. MR Paquete. Paquete with a Q. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Paquete. So here's the last track on Así Lo Siento called Chalaco, composed and performed by Adam Del Monte. Thank you. 
So you were talking about the Eastern Gypsy influence in that one too. Yeah, uh, just by the nature of the rhythmic grouping, it has sort of a Balkan feel to it. Romanian, Yugoslavian, Bulgarian. It has that kind of feel. It's my own melody, of course. It really reminds me of Klezmer music. Prior to Malaga, we lived in Holland. Uh, I was born in Israel, we lived in Amsterdam. And then Malaga, and then Germany, and then I went by myself to England in a boarding school. What happens is when you live in many countries and you, you play different styles of music, even if it's on a, not on the highest level. I've, yeah, I've, pl I've played with Klezmer. Do I know Klezmer? Eh, not really. If someone else knows it and they ask me to do a job, I can cut it. In that process, when you're in touch with musicians of other style and you do whatever you can and you add to it whatever you are able to and at the same time you're absorbing things without even realizing and those influences, they start becoming layered in your subconscious over time. So yes, I've played gypsy music with my dad, I've played gypsy music with, with other gypsies from Eastern Europe, I've played klezmer, I've even miserably tried to play jazz, but that's, <laughs> that's all that, no, that was, you know, and so any attempt of doing anything else outside my comfort zone, whether it sounded good or bad, wasn't really the, the point. The point is being exposed to it, it's getting your feet wet, and something sinks in, and then a year or two or three later, you start writing something, and it becomes distilled in your subconscious. And then you want to express something all of a sudden that says something very abstract that you can't express in only one language. All of a sudden something is born that it, you can see the DNA of five different things in it. And it's hard to put your finger on everything, but you sort of can if you really stop and analyze it. But the bigger picture is that there's a, you know, sort of a new feel that is born out of that process. We were once visiting our friend Francisco Manuel Diaz, Manolo Diaz, the guitar builder. And I, was, I remember that like it was yesterday. I was seven years old and I was on one side of the shop. And on the other side of the shop was this 13-year-old kid playing really well. And I was like, damn, this guy's not much older than I am. He's not quite an adult. You know how kids think. And so I thought, wow, he's just a little older than me. I want to do that. <laughs> the fact that I saw someone that was not an adult doing it, that it was closer to my age, I was able to identify with that. That inspired me. And when we went back to Germany, I remember standing at the doorway and I asked my dad, I want to, I want to play the guitar, can you teach me? He taught me orally, both flamenco and classical, a little Is bit. Is he a player? He played, he's an he's a autodidact, he, he's a self-taught player and just had a passion for the instrument and for the music. He's a, a painter and artist by trade. Uh, never had formal training, but he, of course, inspired me and, and put the guitar in my hands. The first lesson was A minor chord, fifth position with a bar. Oh my god, that was the first lesson? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's horrible. I know. Say, so, squeeze! I'm like, what? Yeah, but it hurts. Doesn't matter. Squeeze. Okay. Well, okay, 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 fine. If you can do that, you're, then you're... <laughs> and then we went to easier things. But <laughs> Adam has since studied with flamenco greats like Pepe Abichuela, Paco Cortes, Nino Miguel, among those, Pepe Abichuela holds a special place. First of all, I was a really bad student. I just wouldn't listen. <laughs> I was terribly hard-headed. And I actually, and 20 years later, I'm like, oh, I get it. I was really dumb. <laughs> I was really, and I actually, I think it was last year or two years ago, I was in Madrid with Pepe and I said, Pepe, perdóname. I said, what? I, I have to ask your forgiveness. Please, what? I didn't listen to you. Everything else is inspired by, is in reference to, and is born out of the feel 
of our communication. It's just that message of simplicity, of meaning, of hitting the target, of channeling your your feelings and your ideas. Whatever you say has to communicate. And so it's hard to find that balance between enriching something and killing it with too much cream. <laughs> While I was learning flamenco, I could play uh, Lagrima and Adelita, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to read music. No. Different sound, different phrasing, and it was just part of the guitar. And for me, it was never a separate thing. Uh, that's a whole other sort of passion of mine in terms of investigating love-hate relationship between the two. But uh, certainly back in the 20s, it was more of a love rather than hate relationship. Between classical and flamenco, uh, especially in Spain, it was, there wasn't such a big division between the two. And then there's the you know, famous story with Segovia, who actually, he started off as a flamenco player. That's a little known fact. Even if it's known, it's, it's, it's a fact in denial. It's a very suppressed fact. Uh, his father was Paco de Lucena, a very highly regarded virtuoso flamenco guitarist. Of course, his father died when he was five or six years old. And they moved to Granada, and his first teacher was El Agustinillo, who was a student of his father's. So he started with flamenco. You also had, of course, Ramon Montoya, who was a student of Emilio Puyol. Nothing hit home as much as when I actually heard a record by Gel Borrui, B-O-R-U-L-L. He's a Catalan. So Diaz, again, my, my good friend Manolo Diaz, the guitar builder, brings out a gramophone, which I don't know what that thing was. It looked like a sewing machine rather than a record player. It didn't run on electricity. You spun it, was good for one-time use before you had to resharpen it. He pulls out these records and he puts it on and I'm looking at them like, and I only had room for like one piece. So he had a few of these records. So, okay, let's check this one out. One side said Alegrias and the other side said Adelita by Tarrega. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I gotta hear this. This is recorded in like in 1918 or 1920 or something like that. And he puts the thing, okay, let's hear Alegrias first. And he's playing away, rough, strum, 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 dun, 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 great. Okay, let's hear Tarrega. Different sound, different vibe, a little bit rough, but, but still sweeter. I mean, it just blew my mind to hear the same guy play one piece of classical, one piece of flamenco. As time went by, they just went further and further away. It's no secret that Segovia, every chance he had, he would belittle flamenco. And it's kind of caused the chain effect was flamencos felt uh, confronted yeah. by that and they developed their own attitude in turn, and justifiably so. But really, in the last, uh, I would say in the last 10, 15 years, a significant change has taken place. Just like Segovia was an in-the-closet flamenco player, the flamencos are in-the-closet classical guitar lovers. This last time I was hanging out, as I always do with my teacher and my maestro, Pepe Abichuela, and he said, Adam, Adam, toca algo clásico, que te odio. <laughs> I hate you because you play classical. <laughs> you, know, you know, and he always asks to hear, you know, Cordoba, Granada, Recuerdos, and, and even Bach, you know, they love Bach. And they really do have an appreciation for classical guitar. But it's because of that artificially created animosity that happened on a political, social level right. that sort of it colors it with a, with a nasty taint. But in reality, gypsies and flamencos love anything that's good, yeah. period, right. including beautiful classical guitar. Yeah. So.
Viaje al Nuevo Mundo was my very first album. It was my flamenco album, primarily. I did want to throw in one classical number there. But Sevilla would pretty much be like an extension, you know, to the, to the left of flamenco or to the right of flamenco, whichever direction you want to take it. In terms of sufficient historical connection and also a change in, in style. But the origin being similar, folkloric and the national color of you know Spanish music. Not all Spanish music is flamenco, but all flamenco is pretty much Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Although even that is changing. <laughs> No, it is, it is, I kind of took, I just kind of took, took the melody, especially the copla. No, no, this needs to be like that. I just sort of took ownership of it. Uh, and I remember when I did that in England, my teacher, Gordon Krosky, he would say, um, yes, Adam, but you know, I don't think there's a tradition of ornamenting Spanish music. In Bach, it's okay in Baroque, but not in Spanish. Well, sorry, that's how the gypsies would do it. Albenis is remembering the, the, the vocal nuances that, that exist in that style of very melismatic singing. The slow part. But, uh, actually, John Dearman told me that it was Albenis's granddaughter or daughter. They were having dinner once with Arthur Rubinstein. And Rubinstein was playing a piece by Albenis and he kind of played it, he was sort of trying to remember it and he was playing through it and he would kind of change and improvise a little bit as he was playing it and then the granddaughter or the daughter said, oh, that's exactly how dad used to play it. Always a little different. And I didn't know that, of course, hearing that statement after the fact that I messed with it right. <laughs> kind of <Thank> gave, <laughs> yeah, gave confirmation to, uh, to what I was doing. I chose Sevilla for this album because it's the most flamenco influenced in, in character. Even though Sevillanas is like at the lightest spectrum of flamenco. Mm -hmm. uh, originally it really wasn't, it was more of the folkloric, but it kind of, it was absorbed and it was upgraded gradually. And it's actually, when you think about it, it's rhythmically very tricky and it's got a whole bunch of magic to it. Yeah. Uh, it's not to be scoffed at. So here is Adam playing his arrangement of Sevilla from the Suite Española by Isaac Albeniz. <laughs> Thank you. 
But uh, even rumba, it started off as something very light, and that has become more and more refined and sophisticated, and you know, absorbed different influences from Latin America and, and jazz and so on. That's pretty much the story of flamenco in general. I love the, the innate humility and absorption, capacity of absorption that flamenco has. And that's how it has enriched itself. It's always avant-garde, it's never dead. Paisajes is my second flamenco concerto. It's in three movements, three different landscapes. The first movement and the last movement are already existing compositions in this case, uh, from my latest album, The Alegría. And Dahab. Dahab is, uh, is a place in the Sinai Desert, which is beautiful. <laughs> it has the most amazing uh, beach on the Red Sea, coral landscapes, very colorful fish, which are mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's just an amazing, magical place. Uh, Dahab, specifically, is it's a back and forth between jaleo, buleria, and tanguillo. I was inspired by Chicoria, Spain, a little bit from it.
but then the rest of it is it has certainly jazz feels to it it has a middle eastern feel to it the the rhythm ties all these influences together middle eastern jazz and of course flamenco so when it's in the concerto of course i've expanded it i would say 80 percent of the piece is pretty much as is with those extra orchestral extensions i mean of course if you have an orchestra to write with then you want to make use of that Ah, Alegrias is the same way way. yeah however the second movement is original it was composed for for this concerto and it's new that is brand new from the ground up that was inspired by the love of my life and so uh, as I was in Argentina she was prompting me to write something that you know people can understand (laughs) she comes from the opera world and so She's a great musician, but flamenco being a very acquired taste, people from different disciplines have a hard time understanding it. Now she's beginning to get it, but still she was prompting me to write something that that was a little bit more universal. I was in La Plata, uh, in the province of Buenos Aires, and I started, I was, you know, woke up one day and started doodling something, something simple. I was really, I, I always do that. I just, before I even start practicing, I just noodle something and nothing specific, just nothing really. And she's like, oh, that's beautiful. I'm like, what? That? What, are you, what is it? It's nothing. I'm just messing around. I'm just trying to relax my fingers, move, get them moving. She's like, it's very nice. Really? And I start playing it and, and this little figure in seven starts to happen. And I'm playing it. I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like, a, like piazzola-ish. was channeling Piazzolla's soul somewhere because the whole melody is very, uh, it has a very tango-esque type of uh, cadence. It's kind of like a, uh, an Andalusian who is trying to learn something else and he's yearning for his homeland, his Spanish homeland, uh-huh. because it, it starts in some strange way and then it bundles into, into a jaleo. And then the end of the piece is uh, is the same melody as the beginning, but in six this time. So it like it starts off wonky and it kind of straightens out as it goes along. The way I compose it really has to start from a feeling. I feel something, a, d- a deep desire to communicate something that I can't necessarily express in words. I don't think of theory, of harmony, of rules, of anything. Whatever I play, whatever I improvise in the moment, if it matches the feeling that I'm feeling, then that's what goes. And if it doesn't, it's out of here. And that's the process. Like the gypsies and their ability to absorb the music that they respect and love, Adam seems to be following in a similar path, creating a brand new sound from many diverse influences. I love the, the innate humility and the capacity of absorption that flamenco has. And that's how it has enriched itself. It's always avant-garde, it's never dead. We are about to hear the first movement of Adam's second concerto, Paisajes, or Landscapes, in its entirety. This first landscape uses the flamenco form Alegrias, one of the lightest and most upbeat forms found in flamenco, and is titled Sacromonte. By the way, you can see the entire film of the live concert on YouTube. Try searching Adam Del Monte and Concerto. If you'd like to study with Adam but can't quite afford private lessons or the USC tuition and audition, you can visit his online lesson website. I have been doing online lessons. Uh, it's uh, www.newlearningvision.com. Adam also recently collaborated with Tomas Delgado Candelas. Here from East LA. 
mm-hmm. third generation master luthier. And we've teamed up to uh, build a, uh, a nicer, better, sweeter flamenco guitar. Together created two different Adam Del Monte signature model guitars that are now available. Thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. If you like this podcast, please rate it on iTunes. Like it on Facebook slash All Strings Considered. Follow on Twitter at All Strings. Or get the latest info on upcoming shows, pictures, and links to the music you heard on the shows. Or just email me a question or comment at scottwolfguitar.com slash podcast. Until next time. This is Adam Del Monte playing Sacro Monte. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you.